right after the attack, we even saw some places where they just suspended Palestinian workers. Mm. Just outright, like all of the Palestinian workers in this organization were suspended. But we also saw a lot of people being arrested for Facebook posts and tweets. And there was a feeling that you can't speak. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Art Persists podcast, a series by Bosler Arts offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world, here to share their stories with you, the listener. My name's Georgia, and in today's episode, we speak to the grassroots organisation Standing Together, an organisation in Jerusalem that works on peace and justice for Palestinians and Israelis. conversation focuses on the Israeli attitude towards Palestinians since the October 7th attacks and the subsequent siege on Gaza. It's important to say that between recording and releasing this episode, the death toll in Gaza has risen from 15,000 to 18,000 people. We end discussing Standing Together's theory of change, calling for an equal and just future. I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the general feelings in Israel towards Palestinians, because I think, you know, people probably now, since everything that's happened recently, understand the situation for Palestinians in Gaza. I think there's more awareness of, you know, what it is like to be a, a Palestinian in the West Bank, but maybe you could tell us about some of the existing structural barriers, inequalities and injustices that, that Palestinians, you know, Palestinians who are Israeli citizens also face within society? Well, it's a big subject. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of uh, Israel society is pretty separate. So we have, you know, towns that are Palestinians, towns that are mostly Jewish, mm. neighborhoods. And the big cities are mixed, but even within neighborhoods, there's a lot of separation. So... A lot of Israelis can go the whole life without having a meaningful discussion with the Palestinians yeah. of Israel. Some areas, like you see in hospitals, uh, there's a lot of people from mixed backgrounds, mm. uh, like working as doctors and nurses. And there are fields where you see people are working next to each other and their colleagues. And uh, but there, you can also just not be in a company that is like 100% Jewish or like 98% and yeah. not really meet people, talk to them. So, and this is because that alongside with the language barrier also causes a lot of problems with communication, not because they, like Palestinians speak Hebrew fluently, mm. but they also watch different media, different news, have different discussion on social media. So we are very separate and sometimes it can be like there will be something violent happening in the West Bank and the Palestinians in Israel are very much aware of it. Yeah. It's very much, it touches them, they, they're aware, and then Israel is just wouldn't even know that it happened. Wow. So, like, this creates a lot of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of mistrust. But with that, there's also places that do have coexistence. There are people trying to create a joint life, wanting that, and... So we're seeing this, both of these things happening. The public in Israel has gone more to the right uh, mm. recently uh, with more extreme 
right-wing party, a right-wing government that is unprecedented in yeah. the East extremist. And that has fragile the relationships. There are also, you know, there's discrimination and there's fear and there's anger and there's a lot of miscommunication. But with that, there's also a real attempts of building society together. There are places where there's coexistence, people working together side by side yeah. and living together. So it's very complex. Yeah. And I think, obviously, ever since Hamas's attack on the 7th of October and the subsequent siege on Gaza, I mean, the atmosphere around the world has is just kind of erupted. Yeah. And, you know, living in London, it has, you know, we've seen this huge change. This con- everyone is, you know, speaking about Israel. Everyone is speaking about the Palestinians. There's also a lot of divisions. It's... So I can only imagine what it's like to actually be in Israel at this time. Can you tell us about the general feelings, the, the kind of climate of the attitudes towards people? Obviously, it's incredibly painful for everyone. Can you, yeah, maybe just set the scene a little bit about, you know, the kind of conversations that people are having in Israel, the attitudes to the government. As you mentioned, it's, I think, the most far-right government maybe Israel's ever had, and also the kind of change in feelings towards maybe the Palestinians in Israel as well. Well, I think to, to understand that, we need to go back a little bit before October 7. Mm. And the the general attitude towards the conflict was of conflict management, as it was called. Yeah. And that is saying, we are not going to have peace. We don't want peace. Mm. That's what the right wing said, uh, yeah. the parties. And Bibi said that, you know, outright. And... Uh, instead, we're going to manage it to keep security as high as possible. And there will be like flare-ups, you know, there will be yeah. operations specifically, like specifically in Gaza. When we've seen that, and so every few years there's like an operation and then there's a ceasefire and then, you know, rinse and repeat. Yeah. And, and and this is kind of like, was told Israel is like, this is the only option. Like this is, this is what we can do to keep yeah. you safe. This is the, like, the best option. And I think a lot of people either support it because they're right-wingers and they want the occupation to continue, but a lot of people don't support it. Most Israelis would rather have peace, but they don't believe it's possible. And so they're saying, well, if this is the only way, then this is the only way, and we'll do it. So this is, I think, one of the major things people felt already even on October 7th. This conception can no longer be. Yeah. And then comes the question, okay, if we can't do that, what can we do? And mm-hmm. we always, we, we said, even before uh, this attack, we always said, you know, this can't go on. This is unsafe. And it will end in violence. We didn't have any idea how violent it's going to be. Yeah. And we, we were shocked by, you know, the level of the attack. But it was clear that it was an unstable situation. And yeah. only peace can bring us real security. And that is something that we've said and we've spoken against this kind of idea of conflict management before. So, but for a lot of people, you know, this book, but if you don't believe this is possible, and now you don't believe conflict management is possible, mm. then a lot of them say, okay, then, you know, perpetual war it is, because it's like, that's yeah. the only way we, ha- we have to fight, because we have to protect ourselves, and that is the only thing that we can do. Mm. Uh, and if you don't do it, if you don't fight, then we're not safe, and we're going to have more attacks. Yeah. And so this is why, you know, we believe that convincing Israelis, the peace is possible, is crucial. Yeah. And it is our only way to, to not live in perpetual war. It's not the future that I want for my people or for my kids. Mm. 
And so this is, I think, one of the things that's, that's changed and one of the challenges now, even more than before, that we need to, to convince people that we, we can advance in a different path. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Standing Together has mentioned since then that Palestinian citizens are routinely fired from their jobs and expelled from their universities for simply expressing concern for Gazan civilians. In addition, we're seeing it, we're seeing increasing physical attacks on both Palestinian and Jewish citizens who speak out against the injustices of war. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about that. So yeah, we've seen right after the attack, we even saw some places where they just suspended Palestinian workers. Mm. Just after, like all of the Palestinian workers in this organization were suspended. Wow. Later on, they, they 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 were returned, but this is was very uh, traumatic for people because they felt like they were being you know, single out for the, and they were for the nationality. And, mm-hmm. uh, but we also saw a lot of people being arrested for Facebook posts and tweets. And there was a feeling that you can't speak mm-hmm. about the situation, even to say something very simple as expressing sour for, for kids being killed in Gaza. But it was even, I think, in many ways, what we saw was people even uh, expressing, you know, sadness for seven October, and then they're saying being misconstrued in a way, in like a terrible way. Like for example, there's one of uh, a lead- member of leadership from Standing Together. Her name is Sally Abed. Mm. She's an incredible person. I suggest following her. But I think about a month ago, she posted a photo of uh, a woman who was murdered in seven of October, and for a while she was thought to be uh, kidnapped, mm. and then through forensic evidence. Um, it was discovered she was murdered that yeah. day. And she just posted like a photo and she's like, uh, you know, it's so sad that she's gone and like a heartbroken emoji, like just a show of empathy and sadness. Yeah. And people attacked her and said like, why did you say gone? Why didn't you say murdered? Why did you mention that it was Hamas who murdered her? Like, yeah. are you, like and they're trying to show that post as if she was, you know, supporting Hamas. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But it was very harsh. She had like a very, very like hard 24 hours with people like sending her personal messages and, and then harassing her. And for a post, it wasn't like really, it's, it's, it was, was really ridiculous. And everyone who knows her even know how ridiculous it is. She's yeah. such a kind-hearted person, very caring. And it, is, it was really hard to see that. And it was really, she keeps you know talking about it because she, because she's, she's very publicly speaking out and there aren't many Palestinians mm. who speak out about this because of this feeling that whatever you say, it will be twisted against yeah. you. Yeah. So she says, I constantly have to prove my humanity. And it's mm. very taxing. It's very hard to yeah. be constantly suspected of supporting things that you are against. So that caused a lot of people to just not speak out, of course. And some of them were attacked for not saying anything. Mm. So this was kind of like, you can't win it's situation. Hard, yeah, because yeah, whatever you say, just because you're Palestinian, they will try to find why... You're a Hamas supporter, even yeah. though you're not. Yeah. So it was really, really hard to, to speak out. It still is. Mm. Uh, and we have like a lot of, me- because we have people who are speaking out, they get a lot of personal messages, uh, more p- public figures of like, thank you for speaking out. Mm. You're saying what I think and I can't say it. And thank you for saying it. And it's very important to me that you continue and stuff like that. So we got in a lot of support, especially mm. from both from Jewish people and from Palestinians. Yeah of like just thanking us for, for speaking out because it seems so hard to say anything 
even remotely complex in this situation without it being completely misconstrued. Yeah. I do follow follow Sally Abbott, actually, and she is amazing. I've been <laughs> following her. I think she, she was in America recently. Just yeah. Of, yeah. And, but I think it's really right what you're saying. I mean, from a from the perspective of, of being in the UK, you know, you watch interviews where Palestinians are brought on to kind of our, our biggest news uh, channels. And the first question they're asked is, you know, do you condemn Hamas? As if every single Palestinian has to prove their their innocence, I guess, um, or their humanity, like you said. Um, and it's very, it's a very difficult time. It's, it's extremely upsetting. And I, I watched one interview with a with a Palestinian who's who lost thirty members of their family uh, in the bombing, and you know the first question she was asked was, you know, are you affiliated with Hamas? Do you condemn mm-hmm. Hamas? It's just this really, really awful situation. Hi, this is Georgia. Just a quick note from me to say that if you're enjoying this episode and you want to listen to others like it, please go back and listen to our one with Forensic Architecture, the Freedom Theatre and also North Palestina. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we just ask you to please give us a rating wherever you're listening and leave us a comment and maybe even share it with friends and family, because only with your help can these important stories be heard. I, it, it has been amazing to, you know, I follow Standing Together and I, I've seen a lot of a lot of images and videos of the work that you've been doing, including this kind of big protests where Jewish and Palestinian Israelis come together, you know, against what's going on in, in Gaza and the bombing of Gaza and and also, you know, demanding the hostages be returned. And it's just, it's just, just a very amazing scene for us to see because actually we, we don't really see it here. Or, you know, it's hard to know what exactly people feel. Can you... Can you tell us a bit more about the work that Standing Together has been doing since October 7th? So we walked in a few different paths. Uh, mm-hmm. One is that we have uh, public rallies, public uh, gatherings. We would hold everything over eight uh, with hundreds of people. And they are mostly about solidarity between mm-hmm. Palestinians and Israelis and preserving, you know, joint life in Israel. Uh, and that a lot of people came, a lot of people said that they give, that gives them a lot of hope, uh, mm. and we're continuing doing that. Uh, we also put up a hotline for uh, people who were harassed because pe- they spoke up against the war, because of mm. Palestinians and people who were fired, people who were suspended from work, etc., uh, to have someone to contact so we can help. And then we also have a ju- joint Jewish-Arab networks, uh, all around Israel, trying to de-escalate tensions, mm. uh, and do, we did a, a lot of work, like mobilizing, I think, over five thousand people in all sorts of things, it was gathering food, but also like uh, painting over racist graffiti, uh, mm. uh, hanging posters, and a lot of different things, just to help preserve the solidarity that does exist within Israel society. For example, we went. Uh, to give flowers out in hospitals because hospitals, uh, as I said before, are um, a place where Palestinians and, is, and Jewish people in Israel work together. Mm. And of course, also some of them are hospitalized. So it's, it's a very, suddenly a very mixed uh, community within the hospitals. And it yeah. was, and in the beginning, it seems a little fragile. We had, there was a case of uh, Palestinian women who were attacked inside the hospital mm. for no reason. And it was a doctor who was fired for 
a Facebook post. Uh, so it seemed very fragile and we wanted to kind of preserve that and just thank them for the hard work. Obviously also the, they had a lot of work, a lot of people were injured. And so, mm. you know, it was a time that we felt this needed to, to happen, to kind of raise morale in a way. Yeah. So we did all of that. So a lot of our work now uh, is focused on preserving solidarity. And now we're trying to also speak up more about the need for peace, mm. uh, long-term peace agreements, um, and campaign for that as well. Yeah. And, I mean, you've mentioned already sort of the, some of the backlash that, you know, someone like Sally Abbott gets when she posts. But I was wondering, you know, as you're out there, as you're, you know, as you're doing these solidarity movements, do you face backlash from other Israeli citizens who don't agree with what you're doing or who are, you know, more in line with the government or more in line with with the siege of Gaza? Like, how, how do you manage that and what kind of experiences do you, do you face as an organization? Well, first of all, yes, uh, definitely, that mm. happens. And we are, we are being harassed sometimes. Uh, it is important to me to say that our perception of change has always been to try and communicate with the largest number of people in Israel yeah. and not give up on the Israel society. Uh, and we always try to speak in a way that we will believe people will hear us the most. Mm. And I think a lot of people in the Israel left have given up on the Israel society and they focus more on being, you know, saying the, what they think. Like they want to be right more than they want to convince other people. Yes. And so for us, it was, it's always important to try to communicate in a way people will hear us out. But we're not always successful in that, and some people will always attack us. But it's very important to us to, to try to, to, to find a language that isn't just automatically, you know, pisses people off and yeah. kind of blocks them from even hearing what you have to say. Of course, in time of war, it's, it's harder than ever mm. uh, because people just don't want to hear it at all. But we try as much as we can to to find a way to reach people and to communicate with them and so that they will hear a message. And this is one of the reasons it's always important to us to say that, you know, a peace agreement is in the interest of Israelis as well. Yes. It's not just us being, you know, in solidarity with people, with the Palestinians. It's also that, but it's also for Israelis as well. And it's important to us that they will know that, that they will feel that we represent them. It's not to not be dissidents within our own society and be outcasted. It's very, very important to us. Yeah. To try to do as much as we can to to be a part of our community. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so important. I mean, you know, if you look at it from a you know, the go- you know, the government is saying, you know, we're gonna destroy Hamas, we're gonna completely get rid of Hamas. But it's so hard to understand their logic about, you know, when you I'm not sure what the death toll is today, but I think it's something like 15,000 people in Gaza, you know, if, without any sign of peace, without any sign of, of ending the occupation, it's so hard to understand how they really think that, that anything is going to change. And I guess from what you, you know, what we've, you've said in this conversation is that they, they don't necessarily want peace, which is when it come when you start to think about security and safety, then you understand that's just a crazy thing to say. Well, I think it's, it, it represents a small part of it. I think that the, the mm-hmm. biggest part of Israel society just either support peace or don't believe peace is possible, but would have preferred it. There's only a small extremist group that 
would rather have, you know, continuous fighting if it means, you know, preserving the land and, mm-hmm. and control over this area. Uh, unfortunately, this small group of people is very influential yeah. in the Israeli government because of the political situation that was created because Bibi, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu wants to be prime minister more than he wants anything yes. else. Yeah. So he created a coalition with anyone who would sit with him, including very, very far-right extremists. And, of course, he himself is a very right-wing person. But yeah. that has created an even greater shift towards the, the right-wing. When we have a government that's just 100% right-wing and not even like a centrist, yeah. which usually there are someone to mitigate it a little bit. Yeah. And then the time when Trump was president was also very hard because mm. he kind of let Bibi do whatever he wanted without international yes. pressure. And obviously we're, we're looking at the, the rise of the right wing throughout the world. You know, there's an election, a US election coming up and a chance that Trump will be back in government. So the future is scary. And I kind of wanted to end this conversation talking to you about standing together's theory of change because it's a very hopeful outlook on the future. And just to quote your theory of change, and you can find this on your website, and I'll, I'll put a link, obviously, to it in the episode description. But your theory of change calls for a comprehensive alternative to the Israeli right, a complete restructuring of the political map and the actualization of our movement's vision, socialism, democracy, solidarity, equality, justice, an end to the occupation, peace, and the establishment of a government that works for the good of all those who live here. I was wondering if you could just expand and, and tell us more about what your theory of change is and honestly how viable you think it is given the current situation. Well, our understanding is that the majority of Israelis, or everyone really in the world, have an interest to live in equality and freedom and social justice. Yeah. Um, the Israeli... Uh, political system has this anomaly where the majority of uh, people support left-wing economical uh, perspective. Like they're not necessarily like this crazy. Like they're not socialists, but they support, you know, better welfare, government, um, um, supporting, you know, better healthcare, better education system, etc. But the People in politics, like the politicians themselves, in the right and in the centre-left, support neoliberalism. And they are very right-wing in their economical stance. Mm. And the elections in Israel are not about the economy, like, pretty much ever. Mm. So it, it, it creates this weird anomaly. But it also gives an opportunity uh, to have people fight together for things and... It's also in the weak, a weakness in, in the Israeli right because they promise better social welfare and that they do not deliver that at all. Mm. Like they, they don't do actually actively anything to do it and they do the opposite also. So it's, 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 it's a weakness of theirs, but because a lot of the left has either collapsed into very small parties mm. or has, is also right-wing in its economical uh, stance, we, this advantage is not being taken. Uh, and it's one of the things that we want, also because we want to advance those things and we believe in them. Mm. Um, but also because we believe it's something that we can unite people around. Uh, and the thing we need to do is change the way the political map is shaped 
and the way people are separated within it. Because right now, the left is painted as this elitist, white, white as in Ashkenazi Jew, very kind of disconnected with the, the people. And the right wing is very populist. And what we need is a left that's offering people hope and offering people representation, mm. uh, good representation, and that is connected with the people and is not in an ivory tower. Yeah. And that has not really been done. And so we believe if we do it well, then we have a chance to really change the way people see things. But it is a very long-term plan. We don't see it happening right now. Yeah. But we do believe uh, most Israeli want peace and want Israeli want equality and want Israeli want social justice. Mm. And we need to uh, work on the thing that hinders that changes yeah. uh, in society. But weirdly, even though a lot of people support right-wing parties that don't represent that line, they do believe in those ideas, but sometimes they just don't believe that they are possible. Mm. So that gives us hope. Yes. And it, I just wanted to draw on one point because it's, I feel like most people, when they think of a potential future, I mean, even now, like you said, most people don't see peace. But, you know, this idea that's been running for years is the two-state solution. So you have a, a Palestinian state and an Israeli state. But what you're kind of describing is more of a, a one state for everyone. Is, no, 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 I definitely 100% support the two-state solution. Two-state solution, okay, okay. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, I was talking about, you know, inside Israel. Inside Israel, but, okay. Yeah, but I don't think one-state solution is a viable solution right now. Yeah. I believe it's it, just a solution is much more likely and will end up being better for everyone. Uh, yeah. At least in, in right now. Uh, so... Thank you for allowing me to clear that. <laughs> and thank you for clarifying it so much. I think there are three points that I want to make about the way we see the struggle for peace that I think mm. are kind of missing, especially uh, in the international way, uh, context of the way the, this conflict is being spoken about. And one of them is that, I think one of the major points that you need to... Uh, say out very clearly uh, is that there are millions of Jewish people living in Israel. There are millions of Palestinians living here. Yeah. Um, and they're not going anywhere. Mm. Anyone who suggests any sort of solution, or solution in double quotes, like, that somehow magically there won't be one of those people here, yeah. uh, is first of all supporting something very, very violent and vile. Because yes. And, uh, but also not realistic at all. It's not going to happen. We're all going to be here. We need to find a way to coexist and we need to find a way to live uh, peacefully. And we need to keep that kind of solution-oriented focus. And we need to think when we're thinking about this conflict, okay, then what is my solution and how is what I'm saying and doing helps promote that solution? Mm. And I think to the, the third point coming from that is that a lot of people, they speak about, like, you know, hashtag poor this, anti that, very, very mm. divisive. And it's it's not helpful because one of the things that hinders peace the most is that the Jewish community here and the Palestinians need to believe 
peace is possible. And yeah. people talking about the whatever side as mm. you know, they all murderers, they all support uh killing and they all want just war always. Yeah. Um that hinders our ability to to promote a peaceful solution. Mm-hmm. Because um, one of our biggest challenges is to convince as many people that it is possible and that we can trust the other side to do it. Yeah. So I think that's a very important when people speak about this conflict to think also, okay, then what is the solution that you are suggesting? Yeah. And does it involve, t- uh, you know, uh, deporting millions of people? Then don't support that solution. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then if your solution is, is peace, and I just think it's the only viable option and as i said for me i think to stay solution is the most viable of all the peaceful yeah solutions but once you start to think about that then it, you have the ability to to speak with more complexity with mm. more empathy with a better understanding of the situation and and that is what we need right now i don't need people to tell me that you know you're right and your side is right and that you know we want you to win I want you to to help me build a better future for myself and for my daughters. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. I feel like there's no there's no nuance and there's no ability to kind of unpack people, you know, what people are saying. And I think what's been what's been hard here is, you know, we have this kind of difference between and it sounds like it's similar in Israel as well, you have this difference between what the government is saying and then what the actual people want. So you know, in England, our government has been, uh, you know, completely with the Israeli government. And, you know, even our Labour Party has not supported a ceasefire at any point. And, and then also what kind of what we were talking about with this, this very hard line understanding of like, okay, if you support the Palestinians, then you're supporting a terrorist organization, you know, and it's just this, this very these like lines basically being drawn one and the other and it it's so dangerous it's so dangerous and it's so isolating also you know it's just I've, i'm rambling but i i completely agree with what you're saying is that we have mm-hmm. to like step back we have to listen to each other and and really have hope and i think that's why i really wanted to talk to you today it's this idea of like there is hope people people do have different views and people do want to see change in the world and thank you for having me thank you so much Many thanks to Yael from Standing Together for joining us for this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Standing Together's work, you can find links in the episode description. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Opposites podcast. We'll be back with our season finale next week.